Ah, 2020. Right when we thought you couldn't get any more interesting, here comes November. An election season is upon us. Many American Christians have conflicting emotions and are deeply concerned about their role and participation in the upcoming presidential election. What biblical principles and ideals should inform our participation in this political process? How is a Christian supposed to vote? Is it simply along party lines, or is there a single make-or-break issue? And is it possible to have constructive, honest, and thoughtful dialogue about these issues without name-calling, mudslinging, or things being thrown across the dining room table at Thanksgiving dinner. This is simply theoretical. It's never happened actually in my own family. I'm just saying if it, well, let's go ahead and get started. Everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast, the podcast about beards and Bible. Is that a good Amen. intro? Yeah, that's true. Uh, although we focus, seems like we focus more on Bibles than, than beards, though. So I don't know. We need to work on that that imbalance. I think. Yeah. Do you think that we should do a whole episode just on beards and why beards are a godly, beautiful thing? That would not be controversial whatsoever. No. But yeah, no. I think I think um, that'd be worth that'd be worth doing. We could we could do beard stereotypes. Hmm. Yeah. Or like, what what denomination does your beard say that you are? Ah. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like you like that? Because like mm-hmm. I think that reformed guys have different beards than messianic guys. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And some Baptist guys can't have beards at all. It's true. That's true. And if they do, like the goatee. You remember when the goatee was like all the rage, especially in the late nineties, early two thousands? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um you know, not not knocking those with goatees that are listening. Um man, doing doing a podcast is hard because it's like who do you you have to choose who you, you What have. if there's a guy right now listening, he's got a goatee, he is so proud of it, but he's a little bit insecure about it. And then here we are throwing shade at his goatee that he's so proud of. Mm-hmm. And he logged on. He started listening because he wanted to be encouraged in the Lord. Yeah. Through this podcast. And here we are making fun of his goatee. We just turned him off from all truth. Yeah. Well, goatee man, we love you. And we support you and your goatee growing. We're just saying maybe just, uh, I don't know, let the sides grow out a little bit. Yeah, just just go all the way. Like yeah. it's, actually, it's actually less work when you think about it. It's actually, it's actually a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the best part of having a beard is you don't have to work quite as hard shaving. So mm. I understand how people do that a goatee and mustache. But, hey, so let me just say this real quick before we get into this topic. Did mm. you know that, like, ironic mustaches are on the rise and ironic mullets are on the rise right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got, I've got two students who have ironic mullets. And you would think it's, it's tough to play it off in southern Alabama because you're like, okay, you have a mullet. But you've mm-hmm. got to overplay the irony part of it, I think, in right. southern Alabama because, you know, that's just the thing here. It's but Alabama, yeah. I think I think Alabama actually, um, we kind of swung the other way when it came to mullets. Like we were so like, oh man, we're the state known for mullets. We there are no mullets allowed in this state. <laughs> so they actually they actually get a lot of hate for having a mullet by their classmates. Hmm. Um, but I, I encourage them. I, I tell them yeah. to drive on. 
Yeah, I can't. If I just wore a mustache with no beard, my face genetically looks like it's been designed to wear a mustache. Yeah. And so people would not see me as like this ironic, cool, hey, look. It'd be like, no, you look just like my uncle Rodney from 1983 when he wore a mustache. And so that's why I have to fill the beard out. Um, yeah. Can't just, yeah. can't just rock the stash. But, um, Same here. Well, uh, it sounds like you and Amanda had a great episode. I listened to it. And uh, it, yeah. sounded, it sounded like you guys covered some great topics. But I was so jealous that I wasn't there. Oh, man. Because um, I, would, I would have totally geeked out um, what she was saying. Yeah, she's a she's really, really, really smart and really knowledgeable about a lot of that stuff. Uh, my wife asked me after she listened to the episode, she goes, was it intimidating to interview somebody that went to Harvard? I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, but the cool thing about Amanda is she's so down to earth and she's yeah. so not pretentious. And so even though she knows so much more than most people do in all of those areas, Mm-hmm. Um, she's like so, so, so kind with it, and it's so easy to talk through questions about that stuff. And she never makes you feel dumb, even though I, I kind of feel intimidated sometimes asking those big questions to her. But could you imagine being like her Sunday school teacher, like right now? <laughs> so I, she's talked about. She's like, oh, I'd love to come up and hear you preach. I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> just don't tell me what service you're going to be in because I'm going to be Seriously. really nervous about it. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. So hopefully we can have her back on sometime that was a lot of fun uh today's episode uh shifts gears just a little bit because it is 2020 and as we all know coming up very soon um within really a month and a half um we will have the probably in my generation i think the the most critical election i think we've probably ever had um, I can't think of any other election. When I say critical, I don't mean um, that I think that another other elections before this weren't unimportant and this unimportant. That's not a word. Unimportant. I, I think that right now with the climate of just politics in the U.S., the election that we're stepping into, man, it's just it's just so contentious and there is so much division and uh, this is a really, really, really important election and a really, I think, critical one in that sense. Yeah, I mean, the people I talk to, um, like I love, I love picking older people's brains about this climate that we're currently living in. This is absolutely, they say, one of the most divisive eras they've ever lived in, um, maybe next to right beside uh, you know, the, the late 60s when you had war protests and things like that. Um, but this yeah. is some of the most highly uh, charged, emotionally charged, um, politically charged, economically charged, you know, it's like, it's, it's a tinderbox of, of division. And it's fueled a lot of times by, well, we talked, um, we talked a few episodes back about social media and how I think, I think social media creates in, in these algorithms, these echo chambers of what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. So when they hear, when, so they, they feed on all the information that um, they want to see and they agree with. So when they encounter someone they, you know, they disagree with, it's like, what are you, you know, you just like lose right. your cool on them. Or you watch a particular news channel that agrees with your ideologies all day long. So the same thing happens. It creates an echo chamber. And that's, that's always um, very unhealthy. For that, yeah. For that well, and, and I think that I, I don't think I realize just how deep the division is because I'll be honest with you. I, I follow politics, but I would consider myself not as political as I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with I just don't have the emotional and the mental margin to care as deeply about that. 
yeah. you know, as a pastor, you're, you're called in to, you know, I'm just thinking about my day yesterday. I mean, there was a, uh, a teenager that um, did a suicide attempt, and I was called in to, to talk with that family and pray with that family through that, mm-hmm. and then people with struggling marriages. And, um, you know, on the ground right here in front of me, there is so much just emotionally charged situations that demand my time and my energy as a pastor, but then as a dad and as a husband. And so I, I follow what's happening in the political world, but I don't have, I think the kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I hope that doesn't sound self-righteous, but I, I, I can't find myself getting to a place where I read a story and then I get outraged. You know, I'm just, I'm not there. I'm just, I'm just like, I can't, I don't have that kind of energy to expend on being outraged about something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I don't don't think it's an energy thing. I think it's an investment thing because um, when you switch your paradigm and your worldview around to realize that you are a citizen, uh, first and foremost, of the kingdom of of God, right? Yeah. And then your your, your citizenship to that kingdom trumps, no pun intended, all, no, we're not going to say that word during this all podcast. Other we're, we're already agreed. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a so, so, yeah, I think, I think when you realize that and you see, you read scripture and you see that kingdoms come and go, nations come and go, leaders mm-hmm. rise and fall, right? And that's just, we wait for the everlasting kingdom. And that's, that should be in our, that should be in our prayers. It should be in our study of scripture is looking for and, and advancing the kingdom of God on earth. And, yeah. um, and yeah, I think we should approach this entire podcast episode. We should approach our study of scripture and we should approach what news channel we turn on with that paradigm that the United States of America, although if not the greatest nation on earth, one of the greatest nations on earth, um, it is, it is not the kingdom of God. Yeah. It is not the kingdom of heaven. It is not his kingdom come to earth. It's not the promised land. You know, and I think yeah. we have to approach all this knowing that. Well, and I think there's also, we need to have an awareness of the hour in which we live. Um, someone said to me about two or three weeks ago, and I, I didn't, I never considered this until they said this. They said that they believed we were closer to civil war than we even realized. Mm-hmm. And I heard that and I kind of was like, okay, come on. Like, I'm a huge civil war buff, grew up mm-hmm. in a part of Georgia where, I mean, growing up, we could go and look at the earthworks where there were, um, you know, parts of the Confederate Army that dug in. We used to hunt for many balls at Chickamauga Battlefield. Like, I, I, I consider myself a student of the first Civil War. And so when I heard that person say that, I was like, that's never going to happen again because you can't have North-South division. Like, you got liberal cities in southern states and conservative mm-hmm. cities in northern states. But then I, I really started thinking about, I mean, that just kind of got stuck in my head. And I started researching... And I found a podcast called It Could Happen Here, and it was actually recorded about a year and a half ago from a guy that studied civil wars in the Ukraine and in Syria. And Mm -hmm. he basically laid out pretty convincingly how he thought a second U.S. civil war was coming. And it wasn't going to be like, you know, south secedes from the north and two armies walk towards each other in a cow field. It would be more like far left radical groups clash with far right radical groups in cities that are destabilized because of writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was a yeah. year and a half ago. He predicted this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, if it does happen, it would be, yeah, it would be centralized in, in large urban centers like that. Well, um, and here's, I, what's, here's what's so crazy about mm-hmm. it too, is like 
he said, and this was convicting for me as a pastor, he goes, all of the elements are there ideologically and politically for this thing to explode because right and left have become further and further and further and further and further and further removed from each other to the point where they have literally nothing in common anymore and there is no constructive dialogue. It is essentially, well, you're this and you're this and there's no common ground. Mm-hmm. And all we do is add fuel to that fire with rhetoric that says, no, your side's the problem and your side's the problem and your side's the problem and your side cares about this and your side cares about that. And so it was just kind of like, man, I, I remember just sitting in my truck listening to this podcast and praying like, Lord, if this happens in my generation, what's my job as a pastor in the middle? Like, what do I do in this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine being a pastor in like 1864? I, I said that to somebody. Atlanta, yesterday. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's probably helpful for us to talk about the biblical principles that inform how we should view the political process mm-hmm. and to let our faith inform our politics, not our politics inform our faith. Yes. Amen. And so I think we're approaching this episode and this discussion, obviously, with the notion that you're going to vote now. I know that there are people, and I, I have friends, and I totally respect them, who are like completely checked out of the political system. They're like, yeah. it's all just a sham. My vote doesn't count. I'm not going to do it. Well, and I respect we also, that. That's we your also, choice. We also have people listening that are from um, other places besides the U.S. listening Yeah, in. yeah. That's yeah. true. That's true. And, and some of these might apply to, to their political process if they live in a democracy or you know, representative republic. But yeah, so I'm, I'm approaching this with the preconceived notion that I'm going to vote. Um, and I will be I will be voting and there are elections in the past where I didn't vote but in this election I will vote um, and that's a choice that we all have so you know people who are listening you know you may have chosen to not vote and that's the beauty of our nation that we live in is that you can do that and that is not incumbent upon you to go vote you know and I would encourage you to but um I have to completely respect your decision not to, and that's, yeah. that's totally fine. I hope that you came to it you know, logically and prayerfully. Um, so yeah, we were going to start throwing some of these. Uh, what we what we said was um, the five uh, biggest characteristics, the the most important characteristics um, that define and that a presidential candidate possesses um, in order to um, get our vote to gain our vote. Yeah. Um, you want to go first? I guess so. Hey, but let's talk about some of the ground rules. First of all, okay. this here's what's fun. Neither Gabe or I know what the other guy wrote. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is a surprise. This is like, uh, I don't know, like those reality <laughs> shows where they unveil it live for the first time. Uh, yeah. So that's the first thing. So I don't know what Gabe wrote. I don't know what I wrote. Well, I mean, I do know what I wrote, but Gabe doesn't know what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I have amnesia. Um, second thing is we've decided that we are not going to specifically say the name of either presidential candidates. Um, And I don't really feel like we need to say the name of either political party. Um, And here's why. I I know that there's some people who are listening with very strong leanings towards one candidate or the other, or very strong strong leanings towards one party or the other. And and the reality is I just want to talk about what the Bible says about it and let our faith and the biblical principles inform our decision politically, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. 
because it's really easy if we start with, hey, I vote along this party and this is my guy, to then go to the Bible and try to proof text and pull out scriptures that support with what this guy says, what this gal says, right? But if we yeah. start first in the scriptures, then we can figure out, okay, which one of these candidates fits this profile. So, cool. Fair? So you can't yeah, say yeah. you can't say any of those words. You can't say the T word or the B word. <laughs> You can't, that, say the, you can't say the R word or the D word, right? Well, yeah, yeah, and that's that's to keep you, the listener, um, from allowing us to to force our political candidate. I'm, I, mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I don't I don't even have my mind made up right now. Like I'm, mm. I don't know who to vote for currently as we're recording this podcast episode. So, mm. um, you know, like I, I can look at it and I can say, okay, that person might be the lesser of the evils, but I'm just going to be honest. Like, I, I don't know at this point, if someone were to put the thing in front of me and say, pull the lever, I, I would just go in the fetal position and start, you know what I'm saying? So I've um, never done that. You just start crying <laughs> in the voting booth. Yeah. Start Wait weeping. a second. So they it have, might happen. They it might happen le- this November. They have levers in Alabama. We just have buttons here in Tennessee. Uh, I don't so, know. I don't know what we have. Well, go ahead and pull that switch. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> We actually, we actually use, uh, we, we use rifles and we shoot at, we shoot at little steel targets. <laughs> yeah. And it's either, uh, yeah, you pick your Auburn or your Alabama rifle to go in and shoot. All right. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. So top priority for any political candidate. Here is my number one. Um, any candidate that I support and that gets my vote Um, must have policies that promote and support the free exercise and expression of religious practice. Mm -hmm. So the verse that I picked, and this may seem like a weird verse, but I'll explain, is actually John 1, 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. And it says this, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And here's how I understand this. Um, what the government does or what the government doesn't do or the government allows or what the government doesn't allow, that really has no relation to this new birth that the Bible talks about. Um, we have the right to become children of God and worship him because of God's decree. And one of the liberties that was given to us as Americans is the freedom of religion and the Founding fathers saw that as inalienable and sacred. And so here's how I believe, and this is kind of the top priority for me for any candidate, where, where we have that liberty to worship God, we have the continued ability to share the gospel openly, to gather the church publicly, to worship without fear of government intervention or interference. So um, that's a top priority for me. A candidate I support has to have the continued free exercise and expression of religious practice. So that's number one. Dude, yeah. You know what my number one was? Or was uh, it? The exact same thing. I knew that, I knew that would be, yeah. I knew some of us would interact. Yeah. <laughs> and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get... Okay, so what What was your verse? Um, well, mine was more along the lines of, um, like, well, First Peter 2. Um, uh, well, you know, I, I don't want to pull this verse out yet because I think I'd okay. find one later on as well, but... Really, it's just common sense more than, than right. that. But it's just like, okay, I want to, and I look at history, and like, especially during the times of the Third Reich, it's like, um, even though that was along racial lines that they would round up Jews, but um, certainly if you were a practicing religious Jew outwardly and you you looked, you know, like a Jew, you, you had a larger 
target on your back than if you kind of blended it and assimilated with German culture, which most of those Jews did. But um, I, I look at, um, you know, all those people, all those people in, in the 1920s and 30s, they just wanted to kind of like be left alone. Yeah. Um, especially like practicing uh, Jews in Germany. They just wanted to be left alone and allowed to pray. Right. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. kind of the, the mantra of Judaism is just like, leave us alone. Let us pray. Um, but I see how um, this through the, kind of like this slow boil uh, of, of laws that were applied over time in Nazi Germany, how it became harder and harder to not only be Jewish in Germany, but also leave Germany and be Jewish. Um, and leave Germany with all your possessions and travel freely throughout Germany and all these and meet freely. Um, and you look at if you look at this list and I have a list of laws that were passed on the date that they were passed. Um, the, you know, there's somewhere around like 50, 60 laws that were passed in a matter of five or 10 years. And you're like, wow, like, why didn't they see the writing on the wall? Mm. Um, why didn't they get out? You know? Yeah. And um, it's it's a really tricky business. So I don't think that this president is going to come along and be like, Okay, Christianity is outlawed. You can no longer read the Bible. Right, right, right. But I, I think that there will be tenets of our faith that will begin to be um, labeled inappropriate or labeled criminal behavior. Right. And it will be harder over time to freely and openly live out our faith the way we right. think we should live. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And I think parts that like, personally disturb me and concern me is when I see laws— in some cities across the U.S. that identify historic Orthodox teachings of Christianity as hate speech, mm-hmm. specifically the Bible's teaching about human sexuality yeah, and the Bible's teaching about the exclusivity of the Christian gospel. In other words, when the Bible says Jesus is the only way in certain pockets of the U.S., that's been identified as hate speech. Yeah, yeah, and that deeply concerns me because that's like a central tenet of the Christian faith, and it has been for two thousand years, right? So, uh, any candidate that comes along and tries to restrict free speech and tries to restrict the exercise of religion and begins to interfere and meddle with what a church can do and what a church can't do, what a pastor can say, what a pastor can't say, and again, like you know, that gets tricky because you've got weird cult groups out there, and those are the ones that uh, I don't know. That's a whole other podcast topic. We could talk about Waco and Branch Davidians, stuff like that, and the government yeah. involvement there. But, but all that to say, I am all for the candidate that continues to give us our free speech rights and our freedom to exercise and express the worship of God the way that we feel in our heart is is the way to do it. Yeah. So, so in other words, like if if a candidate steps up and they're like. They, they have a track record, and it's it's hard because that's that's the only thing you can go off is kind of the wake of a politician, right, and see what their voting record was. You can't tell the future, and politicians have been known to lie, but you can look at their voting record and say, okay, does this, does this candidate vote the way I, I like them to vote? Have they supported laws and other candidates that I tend to support? So, um, yeah, in other words, if, like, if a... If a um, Muslim candidate was like, I am, I'm embracing all these values and I am voting this way. And I give you the, the freedom to practice how your, your religion, however you see fit and you need to practice it. 
um, you know, I think I think that would be interesting. I'd say, okay, well, yeah. I, I, you know, it's not ideal because I, I prefer someone to have a biblical worldview and lead the right. nation in which I live. But um, if it's that versus someone who's going to impose restrictions on my faith, then sure. absolutely I would go with the other person. Sure. Well, and it's interesting too. So many people that are like, I've got First Amendment rights, I've got constitutional rights, I have freedom of expression. The true test to know if you actually believe in freedom of speech is if someone else uses their freedom of speech to say something that you don't like and you disagree with them, but at the same time you recognize they have the full grounds within the Constitution to say it. Yeah. That's when you know, okay, you actually understand the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. It, yeah. it drives me up the wall when I hear people go, well, I believe in my constitutional rights to carry a gun and to say what I want to say. And then there's somebody out there that's doing something they don't like and saying something they don't say. They should be put in jail. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you seriously? Like, you really no, don't yeah. understand the Constitution if that's that's how you view it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we should buy people weights and measure. Right. So if we want freedom of religion, we've got to understand that may mean for our Muslim neighbor down the street that they also mm-hmm. have the freedom to practice their religion. Yeah, so. yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about our country, and that's one of the, the founding principles of our nation was— um, some of the some of the earliest people who who said, "Hey, let's try this experiment out," were because they were facing fierce religious persecution, and they wanted yeah. to practice their faith the way they saw they needed to practice it. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, that brings us to number two. I think we're that's really yeah. cool that we uh, we're in agreement Look with the that. second Twinsies. one, the first one. Twinsies. You you um, want to go with your number two? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go with number okay. two. So number two. Ideally, the candidate and one of the most important qualities that I would see in a presidential candidate is that they want to end one of the um, they, they, they would make significant strides towards ending one of the biggest blights on the historical record of the United States of America. And that is abortion. Mm. Um, so I want a candidate that is going to be pro-life. Um, and, and that's just straightforward. I mean, the Bible clearly says do not murder um, the protection of innocent human life, um, that any kind of innocent blood that is spilled um, cries out to God. Um, and I think, you know, uh, my understanding, life begins at the moment of conception, that there is mm-hmm. there is a zygote that possesses all of the unique DNA needed to create a human being. So to end that human life, um, innocent human life, fits snugly into the definition of murder. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that is... That is something that a president should use their their power to to work to um, to legislate out of our nation. Yeah, at the same time, however, um, looking at making it easier for nonprofits to pop up um, and be conduits of the adoption process or conduits of parenting classes or personal finance classes, and making it easier for that child that's unexpected or um, unplanned to grow up in a family um, that is going to love it and to um, and to respect it and to raise it the way it should be raised. So yeah. it, it kind of have to you kind of have to have both sides of that coin. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was actually that was one of mine as well. Mm. We're on the same page there, buddy. Uh, nice. Nice. I went a little. But I'll tell you how I understood this concept, because that's a that's a huge for me. That is a strong conviction that I have that it's kind of like man when I go into the any sort of political decision like that that plays a factor in there definitely mm-hmm. um, but here's here's kind of the broader concept that I, I took um, a candidate 
that I support has to have social and domestic policies that protect the powerless, the voiceless, the afflicted, and the destitute. Hmm. And so the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, and this is not my verse, so I didn't write it on here, so I don't know the address, but the Bible says that one of the things the Lord hates is hands that shed innocent blood. Mm-hmm. And so as far as I understand what abortion is, just like you said, life begins at conception. Scientifically, there is no difference between my two-year-old daughter and my son, who is mm-hmm. not yet born. The only difference between my son, who's not yet born, and my two-year-old daughter is the size, the mm-hmm. um, development, the environment, and the level of dependency. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you think through those things, that's the only difference. And that doesn't make someone less human. So yeah. it is, by definition, it's murder. And what's crazy is someone were to come up with a gun and stick it to my wife's abdomen and pull the trigger and it killed that baby, that person would be charged for murder. Mm-hmm. But if my wife went to New York, even in her ninth month of pregnancy, and went into an abortion clinic, she could legally murder our son. Yeah, yeah, it's unreal. To me, that's that's just one of the most unjust things that's happening in our nation and so a candidate has to be someone who executes justice for that people group that is being powerless that is powerless and that's being oppressed mm-hmm. right so um i think the unborn that's like the biggest but i also think you know victims of sex trafficking yeah. I, I think a candidate has to be aware of that there's there's more slavery now than there ever has been before mm-hmm. And it's happening right under our nose. Um, I think people in poor, unserved, and underserved communities can it has to be aware of those things and be wanting to do something about it. And I know this isn't popular to say, but I mean, I can't get around it in the scriptures. Immigrants and refugee populations are those seeking political asylum. Mm-hmm. I'll just read a verse. This is what uh, it says in Deuteronomy ten eighteen. Um, the awesome God who's not partial takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless. The widow loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Love the foreigner, therefore, for you are foreigners in the land of Egypt. So I, I know that that's a politically charged issue, this issue of immigration and refugee populations and all that stuff. And listen, like I am all for, man, I lock my doors at night. I'm all for making sure our borders are secure and all that stuff. But I, I think just biblically, if I'm understanding what the Bible teaches, my heart has to be softened towards immigrants and foreigners mm-hmm. and aliens because that's what God tells me to do. Well, yeah, and they're all made in his image. So yeah. now here's what, here's what happens, though, is um, you see, so like, you know, political parties are divided over this issue. Mm-hmm. And one political party says we have to have, you know, um, open borders on one extreme, you know, or like we, we have to, we have to let more people in faster or give all these people amnesty or whatever. And then the other, the other um, side of the spectrum says that there needs to, they need to trickle in legally, um, that the people who are here illegally need to be shipped out ASAP. Um, so, um, how do you, you know, how do you balance that? But I, I think, um, I think it's hard to, it's, it's, it's really difficult because the, the side that's on the right, let's say that says, they need to be out here immediately. They need to be. They need to be shipped out. Um, many times, it's um, because they're trying to protect, and they realize that a lot of people who are here illegally are using the entitlement programs that are offered by our government. 
So mm-hmm. the fear is that they're going to swamp these programs and the taxpayers are, are paying for these programs. Therefore, if they're not here and they're not paying their share of taxes, they shouldn't be using those right. programs. So we need to get them and remove them because they're going to swamp and ultimately collapse these programs or bankrupt these programs. Where I'm, I'm of the persuasion, I'm like, okay, why, why are these, you know, programs shouldn't be there, first of all, in like my world, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, why do, we do, why do we have these programs there? Like, that's an amazing opportunity for the church to come in and be like, oh, hey, you need, you know, a place to sleep, or hey, you need um, clothing, you need food, you need shelter. Right. Um, think of the opportunity that would present to share the gospel to mm-hmm. these people who are coming as, as refugees. Yeah. So it's kind of this straw man that these, these two political um, extremes are, are arguing over with the issue of immigration. Well, and I think it's, it's not helpful to have such a polarization of viewpoints to say, okay, one side stands for compassion and one side stands for wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Because the one side that stands for wisdom says, like, you guys over here are just... You guys don't even use your brains. You don't even know how economics work. You guys are blah, 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 blah. And then other side over here goes, well, we have a heart. You guys have no heart at all. You don't care about people. You're this, you're that, you're racist, you're xenophobic. And so somewhere in the middle, there's a way in which we can use wisdom and Mm -hmm. compassion. And we should have both. Um, And I don't think it's helpful to be so polarized that we, you know, accuse the other side of having absolutely none of what it is we claim to have. Yeah, yeah. All right, who's up? Yeah, that's, that's tough. It's like, how do you how do you take? Why are all these people coming here? You know, and like, why, right, and right, it's, right. it's a it's a testament to the United States of America and the fact that so many people are, are looking as like a, you know, let's go there because we'll have freedom there. We'll have mm-hmm. economic economic um, opportunities there. And it's like, yeah. how do we take some of that DNA of the United States of America and? And you know what I'm saying? Like move it right. and make it available in other places as well. And it's hard because you don't want to, you don't want to sound like imperialist or anything like that, but it's yeah. like, well, how do you, how do you get other countries to get on board with this dream and like this yeah. idea of, of religious and political and economic freedom? Well, and here's something I try to help people that, you know, have come to me just really struggling with this issue understand is I'm like, man, if you grew up in a, in a nation like some of these folks did, mm-hmm. and you had children, and you had a family, like you would probably be doing everything in your power to make it to America. Yeah, it's very likely. So you, we can't hold individuals responsible that are just trying to get over here, mm-hmm. um, or people groups responsible that are just trying to get over here to have a better life for the bankrupt and broken system that we created. Like, we're the ones that made it the way it is. We're the ones that created entitlement programs that anybody can get on. We're the ones that don't have secure borders. We're the ones that make legal immigration absolutely darn near impossible unless you have lots of money. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can look at a group of people and say just genetically they're predisposed towards being entitled and taking advantage. That's racism, truthfully. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing, too, I hear a lot, and I hear this sometimes from, from kids in my classroom, is there, they'll take our jobs. And it's like, well, wait a second. How, yeah, it's like, well, wait a second. How will they take your job if you are indispensable to your employer? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're doing a really good job at your job, your employer will not want to hire Joe Schmo from out of the country. Ooh, dude. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Are you, are, you, are you working hard? Are you demanding too much from your employer? Oh, man. Let, are you let me, entitled? So I've got some friends that... Uh, 
run a lawn care business, and they have told me before that they cannot find anyone who is American that will show up on time, work hard, stay drug-free, and not be entitled and actually do mm-hmm. what they... So they have to hire people from Mexico. Yeah. And, and yeah. use... I mean, they do it legally. They use, you know, visa programs and all that stuff, which I think that got discontinued. But, like... They're like, man, who else are we going to hire to do this job? Nobody wants to do it that's American. So we complain yeah. about, you know, they're going to take our jobs. Well, you're not even willing to do the work that they're going to take from you. So if we complain about that, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, as a, as a lawn care professional, I can't afford, you know, I'm not, I'm just hypothetically speaking here. Oh, I, was like, I, I can't know afford to pay. <laughs> I can't afford to pay all my, all my employees $15, $16 an hour. Like you're demanding so that right, you can, right, right. you know. But yeah, it's, that's a whole other conversation. It's like, yeah. what are we doing on our end? Um, but yeah. yeah. All right, you well, up or number, number three, um, uh, my, my third, now these aren't particularly in order of importance. Okay, um, neither am I, so you're good. My, my third thing is um, how the candidate views the people and the nation of Israel. I knew what you is, were gonna pick that one. What is their stance towards, towards Israel? Because I see um, Israel and the nation of Israel in the forefront of, um, of prophecy and especially eschatology hmm. um, that is more or less the epicenter of all that happens prior to and at the return of the Messiah. So like Zechariah 12.3 says, On that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. And all who try to move it will injure themselves instead. Hmm. And I think it's, um, you know, there's just, that's just one of many passages where um, it seems like a nation's attitude and position and posture towards the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem um, means all the difference economically for that nation. Um, you know, hmm. it's like there's, there's Zechariah 14 talks about the nations that don't go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. They will not receive rain on their land. And that's, that's really fascinating. But, um, yeah, so I think, I think a, a president should look at the nation of Israel and say they have a right to be there. Um, they are a bastion of freedom and democracy in the Middle East and, um, and support the presence of the nation of Israel as its, you know, sovereign entity. Hmm. Yeah. I, I I guess that would be up there for you. I guess that'd be a number three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew you and you and I would do number one and two kind of together. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know, and this is just truthfully, and, and Gabe, I think you and I have had conversations about this. Um, I completely believe that there is a future for the Jewish people and for Israel and the plan of God as we move closer to the return of Christ. Yeah. You and I can completely agree on that. Um, to be honest, though, in terms of how that works specifically, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've studied a lot, taught through the book of Revelation, you know, <laughs> studied that probably 10, 12 hours a week, every week, getting ready to teach through every single chapter of that. Still not exactly certain how that works, but I believe that in the plan of God, as we unfold closer to the return of Christ, there's a plan for Israel. So I, there's that, but I also understand that, man, there are some complexities within the current Palestinian and Israeli state 
<laughs> that I feel like um, take a lot of wisdom to navigate through. And um, and I don't really know exactly what that means or what that looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. We we could talk a long time about that. That's a that's a tricky one for me because I I think <laughs> I'm there with you. But I think I see it a little bit broader. So I didn't have one of my top ones to be Israel. Although that is something definitely in mind. What I said is any candidate I support seeks for our nation to be at peace with and to attain prosperity within the global community. And so what I meant by that is like, hey, they're working with our international allies, they're supporting our international allies, and at the same time, they're an advocate for our nation's interest on a global stage. So I believe that the U.S. should continue to ally with Israel because I, I do really think that, again, in the plan of God, as we get closer to the return of Christ, there is a plan for Israel in that. So um, we need to well, be— Yeah, I would, say, I would say not only is there a plan for Israel, prophetically speaking— um, but I think there's more or less a record being kept of how we, how we view Israel right now. Yeah. I think there's there's an accounting that will, every nation will have to um, give, because you know this goes back to the forefathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that blessing that was given to each of them, that he would give them that land, um, and that that promise stands forever. That promise will be unchanging forever that they will have the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will have possession of that land, not because, you know, um, you know, I know the story about Abraham buying the, the field in the cave at Machpelah in Hebron, you know, um, or, or, you know, s- certain patriarchs buy, buying Shechem or anything like this, but not because of that, but because the God of heaven and earth gave the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that land and said, this is your land. Mm-hmm. And I promise to you that you and your descendants will possess this land. Um, and so that's kind of the gist of it is like, God is faithful. God is unchanging. His promises stand forever. His covenants stand forever. So we got to, we have to look at, okay. And he also says that those who bless you, I will bless. And he says mm-hmm. this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who bless you, I will bless those who curse you. I will curse. So our position and our attitude towards not only the people, but also the land yeah. um, can greatly impact. I mean, just according to scripture, can greatly impact our successes as a nation or as an economy or as yeah. you know, a civilization. So let me ask you this. Maybe this is born out of a little bit of ignorance. And again, sure. I have so much more study to do of this than you do. But the current political state of Israel is not perfect, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the government itself is not perfect. The way that they (laughs) respond to terrorism and threats from their surrounding enemies, that's not perfect, right? Yeah, no, absolutely not. So, like, help me understand this, because I'm not not saying I've decided one way or another. I think sometimes I struggle Mm -hmm. with Christian movements that are pro-Israel to the point where they are like anything, yeah, know you know what I'm saying like anything Israel yeah. does I mean like Israel you know shoots rockets into a civilian uh, part of Palestine I'm just this is theoretical I'm not sure if that's happened but like you know hey there's a counterattack into a civilian population you see little Palestinian Arab children that are 
you know, being picked out of rubble and Christians are like, yeah, you know, Israel. And there's a part of me that's just like, oh, like, I don't know what to feel about that. Because, like, yes, I believe in the Jewish people being God's chosen one. And yeah, but at the same time, it's just like, man, like, are we missing something when we get that way? Like, we're we're pro-Israel to the point where. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you know? You know what I'm saying? Do you understand where I'm going? Right. At? No. Yeah. Are we, are we pro-Israel to the point that we overlook its grievances and its sins? Right. Um, no, we don't overlook those things and those injustices. We 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 pray for them that they would that they would repent of those things. And I mean, gosh, I've been to Tel Aviv, which is arguably one of the most liberal and godless cities in the world. Right. Which is just an hour to hour and a half away from one of the most religious cities in the world, Jerusalem. Um, it's like a completely different nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, abortion is legal and in many cases subsidized by the the, the nation of Israel, the government. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, I, the list goes on the imperfections of the people in the nation of Israel. Right. But those imperfections and how they respond to terrorism and how they respond to this or that, um, that doesn't negate the promises of God. Yeah. So yeah. so we have to look at God's word, how it stands forever, His covenant stands forever, and say, okay. Israel, as because they're fallen human beings as well, the people that live in that land, they're going to make some mistakes. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of Netanyahu, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I know some charismatic Zionists who think he's next to the Messiah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. But um, you know, it's I think he's been a subpar president, um, but he's he's been a very diplomatic one so far. But um, you know, I think he's, he's, it's really, really complex, but I think he's caved yeah. a lot to some of the more religious, um, um, elites or, or, um, uh, extremists in Israel yeah. on certain issues. But yeah, it's, it's very, very complex. But yeah. all I can tell you is that God gave that land to his people and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that stands forever. And so he promised Abraham two things, two main things. Um, a, a descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the, the grains of sand on the seashore. Mm-hmm. And he promised him land. And not just any land. In the book of Genesis, he clearly delineates which land it's supposed to be. Right. Um, and that promise, I mean, stands forever. If the God of heaven says it, it stands. So, yeah, I think I think we have to um, not overlook the imperfections of the, of the state of Israel right now as it stands. Mm-hmm. But um, pray for its peace, pray for its salvation, and, um, and, and yeah, just pray for its security. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would agree that any candidate I support, I think, has to be pro-Israel and, you know, supportive policies that provides for the protection and the existence of the Israeli state. So, yes, I'm mm-hmm. there with you on that. So in terms of how that's fleshed out, um, there's probably smarter men than me that know all the details of that, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, you want to go next or you want me to go next? Sure, I'll go next. Um, my, my next one is educational liberty. I want a presidential candidate that's going to allow me to choose how I educate my children and how my children educate their children. Hmm. Um, whether that is um, on, in the back of a pickup truck you know, and riding down the, <laughs> or if that is in a, if that is in a state funded, state sponsored institution, um, hmm. that has four walls, right. Or if that's online on their computer from their living room or, yeah. um, you know, basically, um, I think one of the biggest, um, 
injustices and one of the biggest, um, I don't know, failures of American culture and society is to make public education compulsory, Hmm. meaning every child between these ages in the United States of America has to be coming to a public institution or have a a, um, suitable alternative to that. So right now, I think we have a lot of liberty in that area. Um, and I think we have a lot of liberty in how I can teach my kids and what I teach my kids. But I can see how five, ten years from now, a lot of those liberties are going to be eroded away. And I, I might be um, forced to put my children or their, cho- their children into an institution of public education, which is going to teach them things that might be counter, very likely will be counter to the tenets of my faith. Hmm. That's a really interesting one. That's something I didn't really think about. Mm-hmm. So basically you're saying that a concern of yours or something to watch is you don't want a candidate that expands the role of the state to try to do your job as a parent. Um, yeah, not only that, but also try to try to just educate my kids. Right. And that kind of that kind of ties into religious freedom because you can have all the religious freedom in the world, but if you have to by law, put your kid on a bus and send him to a, a place, a public institution of learning, mm-hmm. um, then that, the, the things that are being taught to them in that institution are very likely going to be counter to your faith. Darwinian right. evolution, um, you know, uh, the em- embracing of... So, so this, uh, is, this would be like a policy that says, hey, no private uh, Christian schools... All public schools, and we're the yeah, ones no, as a no state that said, oh, "I got you." Okay. Yeah, yeah. Homeschooling yeah. would be illegal. Um, you know, hmm. private schools would be illegal. Yep. Um, and it is. It is all. Uni- all education stems from the state. Right. And I look at this historically as well, because um, any time that a nation, so let's take like the Soviet Union for instance, right? Any time that a nation wants to really spread its um, control or government wants to spread its control, um, it has to first start at that, that ground level and work its mm-hmm. way up. Mm-hmm. And we see this in, in Nazi Germany as well, um, that you have, to, you have to get the next generation to all be calibrated on the same value system right. if you want something to work and an experiment to be passed or whatever. Um, whereas I see education um, completely connected to one's faith, mm-hmm. whereas the public sphere, the secular public sphere would see education as disconnected from one's faith. But I see my children's education as being connected with their faith and completely intertwined and harmonious with their faith. Right. So that when we sit down and we read the Bible and we pray, the maybe the very next book we open is going to be a biology textbook. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or it might be a history textbook or whatever. But yeah. Um, I see that. I see that. And then we're going to we're going to look at that biology. We're going to look at that history. We're going to we're going to look at art and music through the lens of, you know, the Bible, through the lens of Scripture being made in the image of of God. Yeah, I I definitely would agree with you on that. I think that there is something to be said on when the state is flexing its arms and becoming too, um, I don't know trying to take on that job. And I think there's some people that really think that that's the role of the state. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that all that does is open the door for, like you said, indoctrination and, you know, making it to where we don't have that freedom of religious practice. We don't have that freedom to even, you know, 
raise our children in the way that we think they ought to be raised. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, that wasn't on yeah, my yeah. list, but you I, know, it may I be totally a question. It, it may be an issue. Like, okay, so your kids are are all below school age. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so as your kids get older, you're going to have to face that question. Um, mm-hmm. How do we educate our kids? Yeah. Well, Aiden actually just started school uh, a couple oh, of weeks okay. ago. Yeah, he's in pre-K. But I think for us, it's a little different because I live in a really small town. Mm. Um, uh, most of the folks that either work at his school or even his teacher, they either go to the church or I know they're believers. Um and then, like, we stay super, super, super involved. Yeah. So I think it's it's a little bit different where I'm at. If I lived in, like, I don't know, Portland or San Francisco or someplace like that, I, I don't think we would probably have him in school. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just sure. feel like it's it's probably more case-by-case basis in terms of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, I don't know, man. And that's what I'm saying is, like, you know, I, I'm fine with there being public institutions. Right. Um, I'm fine with there being private in, private schools or whatever. Um, I just want the liberty to choose Absolutely. one or the other. And, and that's, 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 I can agree with you on that 100%. Yeah. To have the freedom so, to choose it, yeah. Full yeah. disclosure, like we, we chose to homeschool our three boys, and they're being homeschooled right now. Um, that is very difficult, and it's a big sacrifice because, you know, Stacy could be working, and we could earn, be earning essentially double the amount of money we earn right now. We could put yeah. our kids in public school for free, um, and not have to worry about that. And, you know, they just, they leave all day and they come back and, and we help them with their homework or whatever. But yeah, that would be so easy, so simple, but there's something, um, there's, there's just something about, you know, them sitting around our dining room table, being with a parent all day and being nurtured by them and being educated by them and the flexibility that comes along with that. But also what you're doing is you're, um, and I love, I love the homeschool environment because, you know, <laughs> right away, everybody pictured denim skirts. And, I was about to say, you guys churn and, your own butter and make your own clothes? Is that what's going on 15, there? Yeah. <laughs> 15, 15 passenger van. Yeah, exactly. Passenger vans. Your kids but, are like, Father, is that another child? I haven't yeah. seen another child besides my own brothers. Yeah. It, I, I look at, so as an educator, I look, I look at education as, number one, you need this thing called curiosity in a learner. And if a learner is not curious... You can't force them to learn anything. You're gonna you're mm-hmm. gonna cr- crush any desire to learn. So in the homeschool environment, what you can do is, or even even within a, a private school environment, um, I don't I don't I think it's gonna be a lot harder to pull this off in a larger public school environment. But you can find the areas of their curiosity and you can grow those in them mm-hmm. on a on a very individual basis. And that's really important because God has gifted them in certain areas and capacities. He's called them in certain ways and. You know, as a parent, I feel like it's our job to find those giftings in them and help them grow those yeah. and then kind of orient them towards those those areas of passion and gifting. Yeah, I, I think with the issue of homeschooling and, and man, we could have a whole nother podcast on this. I was homeschooled uh, up until my senior year of high school. And I have seen homeschooling done really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it being done for the right reasons. And. I believe you and Stacy are doing it well and you're doing it for the right reasons. And I have seen it done horribly mm-hmm. and I've seen it done for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And my perspective on it completely shifted when I taught in a public high school. Um, I, I spent the first six years of my career working as a public school teacher. And I say my perspective shifted. Here's what I mean by that. Um, there was a lot 
of situations where kids would come in that had been, I'm doing air quotes right now, homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And because the state that I'm living in, Tennessee, wants to respect the personal liberties of parents to do that, um, there's not a whole lot of accountability from the state as to what that means. Yeah. So a kid would come in after being, air quote, homeschooled for three years, and literally their reading level in seventh grade was like that of a first grader. Mm, wow. Because the mom and dad didn't do anything. And so here's what happens. Kid starts in seventh or eighth grade, and they're literally in special education classes because they have been crippled for probably the rest of their academic careers unless a miracle happens and they're not able to have the basic skills of literacy the basic skills of science and mathematics and so any career choice in any of the STEM fields so that's science, technology, um, engineering mathematics is almost impossible at that point you miss, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying so yeah, there, there yeah. was a part of me that would get deeply troubled for the parents that would air quote homeschool their kids not because they wanted to do what you and Stacy were doing but simply because they didn't want to get their butts up and take their kids to school mm-hmm. or they didn't want their kid like seriously there was a family that yeah. they didn't want their kid to have to follow our dress code and they wanted their kid to be able to grow his hair down to his butt and um, the alternative school that he was going to have to get sent to because they got caught smoking weed in the bathroom they're going to make him cut his hair and they're like well, we'll just homeschool him like, you're nice. not going to homeschool him. You're just, he's going to sit at home and probably yeah. smoke marijuana with you, and he's in seventh grade, but you're, quote, homeschooling him. So there was a part of me in that, and I don't know, again, this is a huge, that's a can of worms. I don't know, man. There's yeah. a part of me that's just like, golly, like, I just feel for those kids. Like, sure, sure. You know, that poor kid can't, he's in seventh or eighth grade, and he can barely read because you didn't do anything. You homeschooled him, and then the state said, we're not going to interfere with that. And I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but anyway. Yeah. That's, That's interesting because I've had I've had almost the opposite experience where when I get a homeschooler come in, um, they're they're about two grades above everybody else in all. One hundred percent. If if the parents are doing their jobs well, yeah, yeah. So there was either two extremes. There was the homeschool kid that started, and they showed up on day one, and I was like, "You're reading on a college level, and I teach ninth grade, mm-hmm. right?" Yeah. Or the homeschool kid that showed up on day mm-hmm. one, and they're reading on a first grade level, and it's the ninth grade. There was mm-hmm. very little mediocrity it was either <laughs> you literally have done nothing in your homeschool or you don't need to be in this class because you know it all yeah. already so yeah anyway let's keep going yeah that'd be that'd be a good future episode to explore there the idea of education yeah yeah homeschoolers so i think it's your turn is it my turn all I right we so. gotta hurry these last two because we got like i don't know five ten minutes yeah we do. uh okay so any candidate that i support has to be a candidate with economic policies that lead to prosperity, equity, and cultivate abundance. And by that, I mean jobs, opportunities, and capital amongst citizens of the nation. And the two verses that I picked for this would be Leviticus 19.13 that says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And then Psalm 128.2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. So here's here's kind of how I understood this. In Scripture, it seems like God has ordained society to function in such a way that when someone is compensated justly for the work they do, all of society flourishes. And when someone is not paid fairly for their work or doesn't get the chance to eat the fruit of the labor of their hands, 
according to the Bible, that's considered oppression and injustice. So any candidate I support has to have economic policies that allow people to eat the fruit of the labor of their hands without penalizing them or taking more from them than what's equitable and reasonable. Mm. Does that make sense? So what does that, what does that look like played out on a practical level? Like well, that looks like if someone... How does that manifest itself? I, I think just me talking personal, and again, I can't say the R word or the D word or the T word or the P word or the B word. I can't remember who else is running. Right. Uh, that, you know, a candidate that allows someone to keep what it is they've earned from the work that they do in the sense of taxation. I think taxation should be reasonable. Mm. I think taxation should be fair. Um, I am against policies that essentially punish people for working hard by taking more from them than what's reasonable. Okay, okay. And then reward people who don't want to work by giving them something that they didn't work for. I think all that does is that cripples a society and doesn't doesn't set it up in such a way for jobs to happen or for equity and prosperity and opportunities to happen. Okay. So yeah. Okay. When I, um, when I heard you say your, your comment initially, I, it's almost sounded like you were saying like, you know, they need to, um, they need to be secured like minimum wage. Like I, I heard like higher wages, like the government needs to step in and, and, not, and, not necessarily. I mean, I think that's a separate issue. But my yeah, my yeah. understanding is like, so I think if you study communist nations or socialist nations and you study the life cycle of communist and socialist nations, it usually has a pretty terrible track record. Yeah. Because I don't believe that God's ordained our societies to work that way. I think but, that... Do you know what I'm saying? That's kind of where yeah. I, I lean towards that. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. So like, I think, I think, I think tax taxation is is a mild form of theft um and there are things um that can be accomplished uh that that you know we don't need to be taxed on to get accomplished but yeah i think um i think that prosperity and and um and business um lifts more people out of poverty than the than a government entity can ever do absolutely um Jobs, so, yeah, opportunities, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And money, I always, I always say that money flows and economics, prosperity flows to the area of least resistance. So if a job creator and a idea creator and a money creator here in the United States feels like there's too much resistance, then that money will flow somewhere else and yeah. they will be based out of somewhere else. And we see that. I mean, we see that going on. Absolutely. Um, there's a quote I wanted to read real quick and yeah. kind of in, in line with this. Um, I believe this is from um, this is from Robert Heinlein, which uh, he's a he's a philosopher and political scientist um, author. He says bread and circuses is the cancer of democracy, the fatal disease for which there is no cure. Democracy often works beautifully at first, but once a state extends the franchise to every warm body, be he producer or parasite. That day marks the beginning of the end of the state. For when hmm. the plebs, for when the, the people discover that they can vote themselves bread and circuses without limit and that the productive members of the body politic cannot stop them, they will do so until the state bleeds to death or in its weakened condition, the state succumbs to an invader as the barbarians um, enter Rome. Wow. And that's interesting. But yeah, yeah absolutely. It, when we when we realize that we can cast a vote and it gets us more bread and circuses, 
mm-hmm. um, irregardless of the cost on the on the collective or on the the, yeah. the producers in the nation. Um, yeah. Then yeah, the, what he's saying basically that's the harbinger of the end of your of your civilization. Absolutely. All right. Did you have another one? How many have you gone? I've got one more left. I don't know how many more like you have left. Um, I've got one more, but do we have time for it? Yeah, we do. If we do, you okay. do a minute on yours. I'll do a minute on mine, and then we'll. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll try not to talk too much on it. But uh, <laughs> my last one is um, medical uh, freedom slash liberty. So uh, what that means is is basically I'm I'm terrified that in the future there will be laws that will say. Um, uh, like this happened in the 20s, like during the eugenics movement, um, that people were forcibly sterilized by the state of California. Tens of mm-hmm. thousands of people were forcibly sterilized by the state of California um, because they were they were deemed unfit. And many of those people were just in poverty. Many of those people were mentally handicapped. Um, but ultimately, it's it's a form of trying to create the perfect civilization and race. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm terrified of something like that because if you extend collective and state-sponsored entitlement programs. Then the next question is, well, who's who's a more of a tug on the system than I am? Let's right. do let's do something with them, or let's prevent them. And I'm I'm terrified of that. So I think mm-hmm. um, having the freedom to um, decline certain medicine, um, uh, whether that be um, you know a certain immunization or <laughs> certain mm. certain things like that that are like you know I don't I don't think that this is um, beneficial for my family and my children. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's probably one of my most, uh, probably one of my most, uh, I don't know. Clear and present dangers. Well, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is a hot button topic in this election. I mean, obviously it is because it we're, you know, in the midst of, of all these things that have been happening with COVID-19. So yeah, that's a, that's a huge topic. Did you have a verse for that? Um, just basically, okay, let me go. I had it and I lost it, but it's second Corinthians. What if you're uh, like John three sixteen? I mean, that works for anything, right? So, yeah. So the second Corinthians <laughs> six, 12, um, uh, no, I'm sorry. It is not second Corinthians six, 12. I had it up and I lost it. Well, I'll let you, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share my next one and you can, you can, okay, go ahead. okay. So my last one is a candidate that I support has to have, social and domestic policies that promote biblical definitions of government responsibilities. So the government, according to Romans 13, 3 and 4, the role of the government is to punish evil deeds, reward good deeds, and to render justice. So Romans 13, 3 and 4 basically is talking about the authority in God's servant is to uh, bear the sword and their agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. So basically... Just fair, equitable laws and policies that prevent corruption, that prevent injustice, and make it possible for law-abiding citizens to live peacefully without fear of either neglect of government responsibility to do their job or unjust retribution for government. And I've been in places before where the government hasn't done their job um, to execute justice, and it is not a good place to live. Or the government oversteps their bounds and executes justice in a way that's inequitable and it makes it really hard to do what it is that you're supposed to do. So that for me is a big deal. Um, I found my verse with, with yeah, medical freedom it. here. Uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is second, this mm. is first, first Corinthians 620. Um, who is the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. 
you were mm, bought at a price, so therefore glorify God with your body. So we we belong to God. Like our we don't even own our own bodies. Yeah. So I think, um, and, that, and that's the thing we have to govern decisions based on the ownership of our bodies, not being Uncle Sam, but rather the Creator of the universe. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's tough. So and I want to reiterate to everybody too, like um, I'm coming at this. Um, not as a red-blooded American, and I'm coming at these questions not as a, as a, um, you know, evangelical this or we got to toe this party line because of this. But um, I'm trying to think of these very, very objectively, um, and very biblically, and realizing first and foremost that I am a stranger and a sojourner in this land. And while I'm blessed to be here, and I thank God every day that I've been born in the United States of America, because it's a wonderful nation. It is not, it is ultimately not my home. It is my citizenship Amen. in America is trumped by my citizenship in the well, kingdom. Can't say that word. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to end, too. I, I believe, and I'll say this, too, is 100% agreement. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep in mind that whoever we elect as a nation in November, that person is not the savior to the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. That person is not going to fix the brokenness. Yeah, and whoever is or isn't elected in November, it's it, it's probably not going to be the end of the world. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, it could our, be. Fa- our faith Part of me is not. like, I really hope it is, so we go 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 home. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's one of those things that you know, when people are like, "That's the end of everything," I'm like, "Well, the I don't know. Christianity seemed to do fine and well under the reign of Nero and Caligula, right. so I, I think we'll be okay." You know what, Josh? Christianity seems to actually do better under the reign of those people. So are you saying we should vote for the worst of the two choices so we could thrive I'm, and flourish? I'm saying I'm saying that when, when Christians get comfortable, our faith gets weak. Amen. And um, let me can – I, can I read one more verse real fast? I'm sorry. Real fast. I guess we have time for a Bible verse. Ezekiel 16. Some people – I ask my students this. What were, the, what were the greatest sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, homosexuality, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, you're wrong. And I go to Ezekiel 16. It says, Ezekiel 16, 49 says, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and the needy. Mm. Like, whoa, wait a second. That sounds oh, uh, really, really familiar. And that's terrifying. We have to be, we have to be humble. We have to be people who fast and pray. We have to be people who are engaged and very concerned. And we have to be people who are known for helping poor and needy. Amen. Otherwise, we're falling into the sins of Sodom. Amen. So everybody, vote Ross Perot. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of promise this election. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we solved all the problems of the uh, yes. political system in one podcast. But hopefully this brought some clarity, some folks who are praying through and thinking through these issues and uh, so make sure you are voting according to what your Bible is speaking. View your politics through the lens of Christ. Don't view Christ through the lens of your politics. That, that completely Amen. gets the cart before the horse. So, All right. I think we're good. Gabe, it's been fun. It's been real. Yeah. yeah thank you guys for listening. I hope this gave you something to think about. Pray about Absolutely. All right. Vote. Vote Dukakis 88. (laughs) 
Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.